1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles, Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsing. And you can catch our show. We have brought you uh, right here on TojiNet, but it's also available where all good podcasts are played, like Apple Music which used to be iTunes. I miss iTunes. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Anyways, I have a special guest tonight. Uh, He is a author and folklorist, or folklorist, author, whatever you want to call it, Mr. Peter Muse. Are you there?
2: I am here. Hi, Ron. Glad to be on the show tonight.
1: Did
2: I I screw your name up? No, that's good. Peter Muse. Yep, that's my name. You got it right.
1: Muse. Muse is good for an author, you know
2: it's good right yeah
1: yeah inspiration there you go yeah so uh tell us a little bit about yourself you know what you know yeah just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get into particulars
2: sure so i'm a massachusetts native i was born here um grew up in haverhill massachusetts which is hey right that's my neck of the woods oh where are you ron where are you Drake it Drake it okay yeah yeah exactly yep so merrimack valley you know the area um, my
1: uh, I went to Northern Essex. Uh, yeah, that's where I met, met my wife. Uh, I have an office in Groveland, so yeah.
2: Oh yeah, so you know that's that's the area, right? So I grew up right in Haverhill. Yeah. Um, my grandmother was in Bill Ricca. so you know Bill Ricca also probably. Yeah. Oh know. yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, I grew up in the. I was born late '60s and became interested in weird things in the early '70s. Really, when I was a kid, um, I, at that time. There was a lot of um, resurgence of interest in sort of the paranormal, the supernatural, the unexplained, those sorts of things on in TV and the media. So there were movies like, you know, In Search of Bigfoot, In Search of Noah's Ark. Um, there was a show just called In Search of, right, with Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Every episode was like 30 minutes about some weird topic like crystal skulls or alien abductions or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, and the big books out there at the time were uh, The uh, Chariots of the God and uh, cigarette Life of Plants and, and other ones like that, too.
2: Yeah, we went to see, when I was a kid, the the movie version of Chariot of the Gods. I remember right. me and my brother and my father went to a theater in Lawrence to see it, and I was just freaked out. There's no reason to be freaked out by it, but I was just freaked out by it because I was probably like, whatever, eight years old or something, and just seeing like all the weird images, I was like, oh, this is really freaky So (laughs) that would also intrigue, you know. Mm, Um, I have have an older brother, and he was really into Bigfoot stories and things like that. Mm. So just growing up, that was just in the culture, you know. I mean, was just out there in the media. And I also, at the time and still, am interested in in things like uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, all the all the mythologies. All the cool stuff. And so, I guess. You know, I went off to college. I studied anthropology and kind of you also learn like, global folklore and things like that. And so afterwards, when I got out of college, I realized that I did not really know a lot about sort of the folklore of the place I'd lived my whole life, which is Massachusetts. Hmm. What college did you go to, uh, I Actually, went to, I went to Bates College, which is up in Maine. So I guess oh, yeah. I, my whole I life Bates. in Massachusetts, I spent four years up in Maine. Um, yeah. But I just – I realized I just didn't know as much about – the local, the legends and lore of massachusetts as i did about like greek mythology right so shouldn't mm-hmm. i learn more about what's had happened here so i just started to research and read about legends and stories from the past of massachusetts and i've never and also other parts of new england i've never really stopped since it's just um i always find there's more to read about and more to learn about so it's been a great great hobby basically i've written a couple books i wrote um legends and legends and lore of the north shore which is north shore of massachusetts and more recently, I wrote *Witches and Warlocks of Massachusetts*. So those are my two books. I have a blog, also, I've written since two thousand and eight. Um, and where can people find you? They can find me at newenglandfolklore.blogspot.com. Okay, that is my blog.
1: And uh, when you started studying, I mean, was there a particular field of interest, or was it just totally totally general?
2: Yeah, you know, it was pretty general, really. Um, I was not really interested in one thing more than the other. I think I've always been interested in a lot of the older stories, things from the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century. So, you know, the like Puritan legends, um, legends after that really are really interesting to me just because a lot of them have been forgotten a little bit, I think. Some of them have survived also, which is also kind of interesting, like which stories have survived and which ones haven't survived. Um, And as you read, as I read a lot of these old legends, you realize that, you know, the Puritans and the folks who came after them, really the main focus was on witchcraft, was a big concern. Stories about witchcraft, the devil, and ghosts were sort of their main, uh, the main focuses of their legends. They they didn't have stories about Bigfoot or UFOs because those things really had not Come into vogue at the time, so it was more like which is was, was, those... was the va- vampire mania. Was that around the same time? Or was that a little later? That was a little later. Vampires, you see, the New England vampire craze sort of after the uh, Revolutionary War. I think is when it really yeah. kicked okay. in. Um, so it's like late 1700s until the middle of the 1800s, I think, okay. are the dates. Okay. Once they really figured out how to cure tuberculosis mm-hmm. or even what tuberculosis was, that's when the vampire. Craze in New England died out because suddenly there was a cure and an explanation for tuberculosis. And do your your audience know what that vampire craze was, Ron? Do you think? Could you want? I I
1: would. Well, you can you can bring it up because I mean, uh, you know, uh, food for the gods. I mean, food for the dead. uh, Yeah. uh, Bell and and and. uh, Thomas uh, Augustine, those books, and so I, I'm familiar with it, and we, we've talked about it on the show. But why don't you give us a re- little refresher, anyways? Which sure. Is, yeah. Yeah.
2: So in New England, um, before as what we were saying, tuberculosis was understood or diagnosed. You know, there was a lot of tuberculosis in the in the area around here, and it's it's easily transmittable, particularly among people who live together. So. You know, if someone with one family gets tuberculosis, other people in the family are likely to get tuberculosis also. Um, but since at the time they didn't understand the science of what caused tuberculosis as a bacterial thing, they, people at the time, many of them believed it was caused by one a dead family member feeding on the energy of other family members who were still living. So let's say, you know, I have three siblings in my family. And one of them dies from tuberculosis and we bury them well then another sibling starts to show the same symptoms and rather than think oh this is a bacterial infection that we got we people would think oh you know the sibling who has died is feeding on us from beyond the grave they are basically sucking the life force out of us and the, which is gruesome but the real gruesome thing is that in order to sort of cure this form of vampirism is that they would unearth the body of the person who died Examine it to see if it looked sort of healthy, right? Were the nails growing? Was the hair growing? Was there still blood in the heart? And if that's the case, oh, yes, this is really, if that's what the situation was, people would say, okay, yes, this person is indeed feeding on their relatives from beyond the grave. We're going to have to take out the liver, the lungs, and the heart. We're going to burn them. And then we're going to make the people in the family who are sick drink those ashes in water basically which would supposedly cure them of the tuberculosis um which it didn't usually work but people would still uh practice this and so i think um there's a rhode island folklorist named arthur was he um michael bell is his name name yeah michael bell michael bell who wrote a book called food for the dead which describes this he has like 20 cases i think uh in new england a lot of them in Rhode Island, Connecticut. There was one case in Massachusetts that's been documented, Vermont, some other places. So it's sort of a fascinating and gruesome thing, really. Yeah, but I, that's, the of, that's the type of local legend you'll find, right? If you dig far enough, find those things from the past.
1: Yeah. I know Thomas D'Agostino is always uh, coming up with another case from. Oh really? Uh, yeah, he's fine as well. Are you you are you familiar with Thomas? Yes,
2: D'Agostino. yeah, I have his books. Yeah. And yeah,
1: I was going to say. He must have, because yeah. he's written like 6,000 books. He just, I don't know how the hell he does it, Be quite frankly. just uh, ambitious,
2: I guess, right? You have to be
1: yeah, Amazing. But yeah, uh, you know, I did, uh, my wife and I did a tour of the uh, Public Health Museum in uh, Tewksbury. And uh, when I was there, I thought, discovered that uh, uh, Moxie was actually invented as a patent medicine for uh oh, TB. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: So,
2: Does that explain the taste? Like I still yeah. I will drink moxie, but you know what I mean. It's very it's an you acquired do. taste.
1: It, it is. My my mom and dad used to drink it. I I have no part of it, but uh, yeah, they actually would mix it with milk, and it would just like turn my stomach. But uh, yeah, that was a, And there are. I mean, people just love it uh you know not everybody but there are some aficionados or whatever you want to call them, connoisseurs of of the uh lexia but uh, yeah it was interesting yeah.
2: it's a, yeah it's like early you see those in the 19th century early 20th century those sort of like different roots right people are cooking different roots to make these tonics like root beer yeah. and moxie and all those things are all kind yeah. of related. But we've, we've all kind of Honed it down just to root beer. Like now, it's just root beer that people will drink. Not the other ones. Maybe a little birch beer or something now and then. But... Yeah.
1: Yeah. she uh, was actually uh, manufactured in Lowell. So.
2: Oh really? Yeah. And now it's associated with Maine. Like for some reason, I know, I know. with Maine. They, I'm not sure why. Yeah.
1: But... They have the big festival up there and everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, Havel. Uh, you have the the. Uh, it's the home of uh, uh, Mister McDougal uh Dr. McDougall.
2: Are you right, that? the human soul, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, 23 grams. Uh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. I think um when I was a kid, I think it, I mean as we were taught more about Hannah Dustin, who is sort of the the, oh, yeah.
1: violent,
2: the violent heroine of Haverhill, Massachusetts. And she's sort of a controversial figure these days, but the I don't st- know why, you
1: know, she's it's, it's it's part of the woke movement quite frankly. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, it's you know I think it's com- the whole situation is really complicated. So, but there is still a statue of her in the downtown park holding a hatchet, you know, which is yeah really- they
1: they try to change that too, but mm-hmm. know, whatever. Yeah, you know that's the problem. Uh, unfortunately, we like to judge the past from the future, and it's so easy because, I mean, let's face it. Hopefully, we grow intellectually and and morally from the thing, but certain things at that time were were not really considered. Terrible or anything or or immoral or or whatever, and and yet because we do it now, we 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 judge the past, and and they as far as they know, they were doing no wrong. But you know, because we were more enlightened in this this era, we it's easy for us to judge the past. It it, it really irritates me because you don't learn from the past by trying to erase it. Uh, So anyway, I. That was my pet peeve, so I don't want to get on that.
2: There's <laughs> your rant for the night. There's your rant.
1: Yeah, well, I could go on, but anyway. Uh yeah, I mean, yeah, the has got a, a rich thing, uh rich history in itself. Uh yeah. you know, there's lots of mills and the uh the Bradford College, of course. Uh do you have any stories about Bradford?
2: You know, my favorite story about Bradford College, um, and I've people have written to me with a few of them. I've talked to people who've gone there. And they've told me these stories also. My favorite one is that um that the Necronomicon is supposed to be hidden in a tunnel underneath Bradford College. Really? I like that one. That's a good one, right? It's probably not true because I don't think the Necronomicon was real. But the story, the legend, and I'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this because it's a totally spurious legend and I'm gonna help spread it, even though it's totally fake. Um, Fine. the legend is that H. P. Lovecraft, right, the famous horror writer from yeah. Rhode Island, was dating a co-ed at Bradford College like in the 1920s, mm-hmm. and he had in his possession a copy of the real Necronomicon, so this book of like ultimate evil magic. H.P. Lovecraft had a copy of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, he wanted to hide it to keep it out of you know the wrong hands. So this he was talking to this co-ed at Bradford College about it. She's like, oh, you know there are tunnels underneath the college. Why don't we hide it in one of the tunnels, and then if you ever need it, you can come back and get it. And so they went down into these tunnels, and they hid it somewhere down there behind a brick or behind a rock or something. And supposedly, it's still down there. Like, no one ever went back to get it. So and according <laughs> to this legend, the Necronomicon is still hidden underneath the Bradford College in one of the tunnels. And there are tunnels underneath the college. I just don't yeah, know they, how old they are or anything like that. But that's first school. of all, it's, it's a Christian school, now, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people have written me say, please don't spread this legend because it's a Christian school. Yeah. Um, we don't. But t- tunnels, you know, we we like to say, oh,
1: there's tunnels under the. But t- tunnels are quite common in in the uh, buildings of that time period. A lot of the mills had tunnels. I mean, I know the I believe it's the P.S. Mansion actually. Uh, he had a tunnel under the street to his his uh, uh, mill across the street, where you go in and, and to the mill under the. So right. I mean, yeah, Lowell Lowell Tech or, or what is it? Lowell University alone now uh, has tunnels. I mean, tunnels are, are common. We like them because they're underground. They're scary, you know. We we like. I mean, Lowell General Hospital had tunnels, which, by the way, were pretty freaky. <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> it's um. But, yeah, there. I I do like a tunnel because they are freaky and spooky. I think mm. there's um. I'm trying to find the name of, of this person. The North End. There was there were supposedly tunnels in the North End. Um, there was a guy in the like in the colonial era. A very wealthy man showed up in Boston, and he sort of. Um, won a lot of friends by spending a lot of money, right? He lived in a big house that used to own be, belong, used to be owned by the governor. He, like, helped decorate the old North church. Like, he bought them these cherubs and these glass windows and all this stuff. So he was making, like, a lot of friends by being very generous. And, you know, Boston at the time was controlled by the British, and it turned out that this guy, whose name is slipping my mind, um, was smuggling contraband in Mm -hmm. from boston harbor apparently through tunnels that went from the harbor to his large house in um the north end and when the british found out he was smuggling all this stuff in without paying the taxes he disappeared he fled town Mm -hmm. and you know some people say it's just a legend about these tunnels but then if you look through some historic records like Uh when they were renovating i think it was um maybe Commercial Street, one of the streets that go around the North End, they actually found a tunnel underneath the street that was pointing towards the direction of the harbor. Um, There's also a house, I think, on Prince Street in the North End, an old brick house from, like, the 1700s that's still standing, and they have in their basement a door, uh, a bricked-up tunnel that leads into the hill, like, leads right into Copse Hill burying ground. Mm -hmm. So there are some tunnels, like, in the North End that... You know, were used probably for smuggling, but you know, legends have built up around those tunnels too. And if you read like yeah, um, H.P. Lovecraft again, he talks about tunnels in the north end that go to the cemetery where you know various monsters lurk and things like that. Of so. course, but
1: I mean, tunnels, quite frankly, were were not uh, uncommon in uh, ports. Uh, Portsmouth Harbour is, is got tons of tunnels. Uh, Going throughout the city, I mean, I know uh, I did an investigation at Molly Malone's, which was a a bar in there, but they they were all brothels and everything. They used to bring in liquor. They used to bring in. uh, They used to Shanghai people like Seattle has a lot of Shanghai tunnels as well. Yeah. You know, they would go to these these bars and uh, get these sailors drunk and then basically take them out to the ships and impress them into service. Right. uh, It's not uncommon. And and we'd like to say, oh, you know, did they really exist or anything? But, yeah, they did exist. There's ponders
2: you, of evidence that they exist. Have you ever been to Dungeon Rock in Lynn, Massachusetts? Yes, of course. Yeah. That is a, that is a freaky tunnel. Like that tunnel is more than a tunnel, right? Because it is just – again, like to people – Great this, story, this, too. Don't know, but so – According to legend, right, um, a pirate came ashore in Lynn, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, sometime in like the late 1600s, early 1700s. He had all this treasure with him. He was living in the Lynn woods. There was a big earthquake. He was killed when a giant rock collapsed on him, and his treasure was buried under the rock. That's the legend. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1800s, when spiritualism was a really popular religious movement, the um, mm-hmm. A guy named Hiram Marble, which is a great name if you're going to work with a rock, Hiram Marble, Mm -hmm. um, goes to see a psychic medium, and the psychic medium's like, oh, I'm I'm connecting with that dead pirate, and he's telling me that you should dig a tunnel, and you'll find the buried treasure under that rock. Mm -hmm. So Hiram Marble starts to dig through this rock, and he digs for what, like... 20 years or something like he digs and digs and digs this tunnel that just spirals down and down and down into the stone deeper and deeper. And then when he died, his son carried on also digging for yeah. years and years and years. And it's just um, kind of an amazing story that they would dig for so long. Um, I guess, oh yeah, they, they, I even just looked it up in my blog. They dug for a total of 28 years mm-hmm. until they finally gave up. They never of course found the treasure, and the psychic medium was like, oh, you're getting close. Just go a little to the right. You're almost there. And mm-hmm. at some point, they just um, were so dedicated to it, they didn't want to stop. And you can go and go into the tunnel. On certain days, they will unlock the big iron door, and you can go into it. And it's like it's over 200 feet deep if you go down in that yeah. tunnel. It's like a giant corkscrew just spiraling down. So Sometimes it does get flooded, though, so you have to be yeah. careful at times. Uh, we You
1: can only go in, but yeah. It was, uh, I went there with Chris Bozano. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, we went in there. Yeah, Chris and I and Maureen went. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it an was intriguing place. Uh, it's, great stories. We have great stories all over New England, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, we're lucky to live in a place that has um, such weird history, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like newer parts of the country just don't have it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we are old enough to have those weird stories, but unlike, you know, Europe or Asia, we're also young enough that they seem relatively recent and relatively accessible to us at the same time. So we're kind of in that sweet spot. Like we have 400 years of weird history to draw on, which is a pretty good length, I think, you know?
1: Yeah. And unfortunately in England, they have doing jobs that are older than us.
2: They do. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Everything is older. there. to go to, we, I went to Rome a few years ago and, um, Oh, God, that's even older. <laughs> older right? and we went to this church, and the, you go in the church. The church is from, like, I don't know, the 1400s. Then you go down in the basement, and there's another church built on top of that, below that, right, which is from maybe 700. Then you go below that, and there is a temple to the god Mithras down below in the sub-sub-basement. And, like, the tour guide's like, oh, yeah, they think there are other temples below this one. Like, they're all just built right on top of each other. Sort of amazing. And they were just, um we're down there looking at this temple from whatever, the Roman Empire. And they're just these doorways, which are chained off, so you can't go down the doorways. But they lead into these tunnels, and you can just hear, like, running water. I'm like, what is down here? Like, how deep do these tunnels go? You know, it's sort of amazing. So I'm a little jealous that they have such... Rich history over there, you
1: know. I know, but we we've got so many cool things here. You know, we have places like Dungeon Rock. We have places like uh, Dogtown.
2: Uh, Dogtown, in, in yeah, Groveland.
1: I mean, not Groveland in Gloucester.
2: Yeah, Dogtown is great. Um, it's always a little spooky, I guess, to go to Dogtown. Um, mm. The first time I went there, we parked and we were walking in, and we were at an entrance that's near like a firing range. Oh yeah. So you could just hear all these rifles going off, which to mm-hmm. me is an unsettling thing. Like I'm not a type of person who grew up around guns. So just hearing a lot of rifles, I'm like, ooh, this is just setting like tone for me. And of course nothing really spooky happened, but just like those woods are so um like the landscape is unusual, the rocks are unusual. We have the rocks that Roger Babson carved, we have all those. You know motivational sayings like you know be on time and do good work or whatever. Yeah, and he, like he carved them to kind of motivate people to work hard. But now they're just in the middle of these overgrown woods, which makes it even weirder. Like it's it has the exact opposite effect of what he intended. Right? He wanted people to think of like hardworking colonial founders and not think about the witches that are associated with Dogtown. But I think you know the way nature took over so now i just associate more with witches and spooky things do you, do you want to give us a little synopsis of the
1: the, the witches of of uh yeah.
2: darkness? sure so um gloucester's a really old town right founded some point in the 1600s and you know it was focused all right
1: on- peter before we go into it uh we're coming up to the break so uh we'll, we'll hold off until after the break if you don't mind okay.
2: i am you can always tell this story there's no rush Okay,
1: so I, I did want to tell a story about those rocks that were carved. Uh, we, we went there. Maureen and I went there. Uh, we met up with uh, Jeff Belanger and Tom and Stagostino. And we had run into some rainstorms. We were about a half an hour late. So we got there, and we went through dark time with, with uh, Jeff and, and Tom and everything else. And they, we came along the rocks and everything else. And then one time, uh, as we approached, there was, they were standing in front of a rock. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, they, they just get out of the way and it said, be on time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that was like when you said that. It just reminded me of that story. I got one of my best pictures there, in fact, that it, it has me sitting on the rock with my leg hanging over the side. And it says, uh, stud on it.
2: <laughs> it really it says. says study right yeah
1: it really says study yeah <laughs> but anyway all right so we got to take a break okay. you're listening to uh ghost chronicles next generation with uh a special guest uh peter muse right here on tow net, and we're brought to you by circles of wisdom 286 member extreme in massachusetts the glant messier family log group 15 high street not Andover, massachusetts and our very very good friends and ghost chronicles radio on patreon you too can become a member have access to over yeah, 50 exclusive videos uh and other stuff that's on the site uh, for a mere three bucks a month so there you go um you can also catch our podcast on uh, apple music and wow uh, we well, actually basically wherever good podcasts can be found and um, so there you go anyways uh we'll be right back after the following messages Did they really? (laughs) That's funny. Must be paranormal. (laughs) All right, you got to put the tunes up, though, so I can hear them. So, yeah.
2: Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, Get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678.
0: Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the meeting of the Ghost Box.
1: And we are back. That, of course, is the theme song to Van Helsink. Welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, New England's own Van Helsing. speaking of Van Helsing, And today, my special guest is author, folklorist author, Peter Muse. And just before the break, we were going to talk about the legend of Dogtown. So, Peter, you want to carry on?
2: Yeah, I am happy to. I love Dogtown, and it's... Uh... Witch stories, which I love witch stories. So, um, think, you know, Gloucester was founded, what, in the 1600s, probably, a fishing community. And um, since it was a Puritan town, it was very focused on the church, or what they would call the meeting house, right, where the Puritans would have Sunday service, Sunday meetings, was a real focal point of the town. Um, and it was very focused on the harbor. And at a certain point, that part of the harbor near the meeting house was becoming very crowded, And so the leaders of Gloucester opened up this new part of the Gloucester Peninsula, basically Cape Ann, for settlement. And they called that the Common Settlement. And it was um, sort of away from the coast a little bit, up on this plateau, this sort of rocky plateau. It wasn't really a place where people could farm. It was too rocky. But instead, it was a place for um, craftspeople, so like barrel makers, blacksmiths, um, things like that, maybe cobblers, people who would make things would live up there. Maybe there was space for sheep to graze or whatever, but it wasn't some place you could really grow a lot of crops because there's too many rocks. But it was close to the meeting house, so it was sort of a popular um place for people to live, particularly if you were a young craftsman, you'd go there and start a family. Um so things were doing great for a while up there in the common settlement, this part of Gloucester, until a couple things happened. One is they moved the meeting house away from its original location further away from the common settlement. So what had once been sort of a convenient place to live was now a little bit of a backwater, right? particularly if you didn't have a, there were no cars at the time, so you wouldn't want to have to walk like five miles every Sunday to go to the Sunday meeting. That's not really convenient. And also the Revolutionary War broke out, and a lot of men from Gloucester were called up to serve in the Navy in particular because it was a, a coastal community. So um, the population of Gloucester sort of plummeted a little bit So basically this area, this common settlement, which was now inconvenient and then was getting depopulated, it really sort of became abandoned. Um, People tended to move out of it into the main part of Gloucester down by the harbor. And so the houses there started to kind of fall in disrepair. And people, once it was sort of in a state of disrepair, the outcasts of Gloucester started to move into it. And a lot of these people were um, older Single women, like widows or women who had never gotten married, and they moved in and took over these houses, these abandoned houses. And a lot of them had a reputation as witches. And they kind of, some of them actually played this reputation up. Like, um, there was a woman, I want to say her name was Tammy Younger, I think her name was, and she lived in this rundown house on the road that went through Dogtown into Gloucester. And every time a wagon would come by, Bringing people from other parts of Cape Ann and from the mainland into Gloucester, she would kind of stick her head out of the window of her rundown house and scream and yell at them and threaten to curse them unless they would give her money. So basically, she was like charging a toll, but everyone was afraid of her because mm. she was so terrifying looking. I think she had like one giant fang in her mouth and, you know, <laughs> cultivated this look like long, straggly hair. She really wanted to look terrifying. And people are like, oh, you better pay her. She's a witch. She's going to curse you. Um, so some of the witches kind of, Made their money by threatening people and threatening to curse them. And I know when Tammy Younger died, for example, um, her nephew, who still lived in the main part of Gloucester, asked the local carpenter to make a coffin for her. And the car- the carpenter's wife was terrified to even have the coffin in the house. She's like, "I can sense Tammy Younger's negative vibes or whatever they oh, were. In the 1700s. Like coming out of this coffin, you have to keep it outside. It's too scary. She's a witch." Um, some of the other witches in Gloucester, in Dogtown were more benevolent, I think. They would make their money by selling herbal remedies. They would make, you know, um, th- you re- they made things out of, like, um, spruce tops you read about or foxberry or different herbs that would grow. So cures for ailments like colds and coughs. And some of them would tell fortunes using tea leaves or things like that. And so, um and again, when I say witches, they weren't really witches. They were... Um, women who were using the word witch to make a living, basically. It was how they were making their money by acting like witches, so either trying to curse people to get money or, you know, cooking up these cures and telling fortunes to get the money that way. Um, Eventually, um, those women, most of them passed away, and I think the last person who lived in Dogtown was a um, freed slave. His name was Cornelius Finson, I think he died in, I want to say, 1850. He was the last person who lived in Dogtown, and he was found um, with severe frostbite just in one of these, one of the few remaining houses. He was trying to find some buried treasure that was supposed to be buried in the basement, um, and he was the last person who lived there. And now it's, um, it became abandoned after that. Um, and Roger Babson, who founded Babson College, he was a big financier in the early part of the 20th century, and uh late i think he's in the late 19th century and he did not like that Dogtown was remembered as a place for witches and for this supernatural and so he made a deal actually with the town of gloucester is that he gave gloucester land for their reservoir so the gloucester has a big reservoir that was given to the city by roger babson in return he asked that he could have um, stonemasons carve inspirational sayings into these boulders to kind of inspire people to the original ethos of the common settlement, like these hardworking artisans, these people who fought in the Revolutionary War. And so as Ron and I were saying, like there are these things that say, like study, work hard, be on time, use your head, all these slogans, I think there are like almost 20 of them. There's um, a lot of them, yeah. There's a lot of them. I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a bunch of them, but never found all of them. But now if you go to Dogtown, it's just totally overgrown. So all these you just stumble on these boulders in the middle of this really dense, uh sometimes <laughs> inhospitable forest. Like the terrain is can be rough there, I think. Parts of it can be pretty rough. Um mm-hmm. And there, you know, there are the legends about Dogtown. I've heard like uh, the Dogtown werewolf. Have you heard of this one? Um No, I have not, actually. This, there are the only two references to it. One is from like the 1800s. Somebody in Gloucester said that his mother said there was a monster that lived in the woods and he called it a wolverine. Um, And he said it was a large dog-like creature with like flaming eyes and like sparks would come out of its um, fur as it ran by him. Right, So it was like a big wolf-like monster uh that was one reference to it the other one was somebody in the 1980s um saw a dog like creature swimming off the sh- like between i think between Ipswich and Gloucester like there's like a narrow bit of water like a river or something so they would see this dog like creature swimming there and some teenagers who lived on a road that led into Dogtown reported seeing a large dog like creature i think with like flaming red eyes running down the street into the woods and so some people speculate, oh, it was a werewolf, right? Because witches and werewolves go together like uh, peanut butter and jelly. So it, some people said it was a Dogtown werewolf. I don't know if there's any mm-hmm. truth to that, but it's a good story anyway, I think. Do you, you know, know how Dogtown got its name? They um, say it got its name because of the rural dogs that lived there. So it was sort of like um, these women who were the witches and people like the runaways, runaway slaves. And also just, like, lots of loose, semi-wild dogs that ran through the streets. So that's one reason why people say it might be called Dogtown. I've also heard, though, that there are other places in the U.S. called Dogtown. Mm-hmm. And generally, it's also a name for places that are kind of um, run down a little shady, right? It's yeah. like the bad neighborhood is called Dogtown. You don't want to go there. So, mm-hmm. so it could yeah, be I heard, any of those reasons.
1: Yeah, I, I heard the the first one that, uh, yeah, a the, the lot of these uh, – Dogs were there and uh, they were, of course, they, they had hard times feeding them and stuff. And then eventually they became wild. And after the place was abandoned, the dogs took well, basically took it over after that until they uh, disappeared. But one of the, the interesting things about Dogtown that, that, that I've been here a, a few times is that um, it, it always seems deadly silent. Uh, that, yeah. that's one thing I noticed. It just, you know, you never heard animals. You never heard birds. You just, it was just deadly silent. Uh,
2: yeah, I agree. It's, um, and maybe it's cause I'm sort of a more of a city person, but it is yeah. going those woods and they are really spooky and quiet. I think, um, it's yeah. not like full of a lot of birds singing in the trees. It's and I don't know if it's just too thick and dense and birds like more of the peripheral areas or what it is, but it's not, um,
1: or is it haunted?
2: If, yeah, you can, yeah, maybe it's haunted, right? A oh, cursed. And, <laughs> and you can still see the um the remains of the cellar holes. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. As In you fact, walk around, you can see the when cellar we
1: holes. Went, we, we had a map, uh, and we, we could <laughs> go to the different ones, and each one of them, they had markings on it and stuff.
2: So you can see, like, Cornelius Finson's, the house where he was found, or Tammy Younger's house where she would curse people for money, things like that. There's also a sailor. I don't, the name I want to say James Marsden, but I know he's the actor, but it was something Marsden. Um, he was a local sailor and like he was drinking in Gloucester. And one night he got drunk and went into what, you know, the dogtown area. And there was someone, a farmer was keeping a young bull in a pen. And this sailor, this Marsden guy was boasting to his friends that he could like wrestle that bull to the ground. So he got in the pen, wrestled the bull to the ground. He's like, yeah, I I really taught that bull a lesson. His friend's like, yeah, you're the man, whatever. And then a year later, Marsden was drinking down in Gloucester again, and he told his friends, I'm going to go wrestle that bull again. And so they all went back up to the pen. And, of course, a year had gone by, and a bull gets really big in a year, right? It put on, like, you know, whatever, 400 pounds or something. Mm -hmm. And so Marsden gets in the pen to um, wrestle the bull, and the bull kills him. Like, yep. just kills him. And there's a small plaque somewhere in Dogtown to that event. It's like James Marsden killed by a bull. Um, just a small stone marker to that. So, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a creepy place. There was a murder there in the, was the 1980s, I think. Um, a school teacher was murdered by a local man with them. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so and
1: there are always tales too of witnesses from sailing going there and sacrificing children and stuff too. That were, those are just tales. About those Sarah. are just
2: tales, right? And that's um, you know, adding to the mystique. But the book by yeah. Alyssa East called like um I think it's just called Dogtown: Murder and Mystery in a New England Ghost Town or something like that. That's a good book because it has the whole history of Dogtown and it talks about the murder and what happened. Oh, after. cool! Very cool.
1: Yeah. What are the, another cool thing that I uh, we went there at night one time and uh we
2: were just very brave I wouldn't go there at night
1: <laughs> we went through and and one of the it was it was full moon one of the coolest things i ever found was this i i can't think of the name of it right now but it's basically a, a moonflower and it it only blooms during the moon and it was it was it was absolutely gorgeous like a white lily kind of thing it was it was gorgeous i was like wow look at wow. this yeah i took a picture and i am th- sure i have it somewhere but yeah it was the neatest thing like we're going through the woods at night and you find a, a blooming flower it's like wow yeah that's pretty cool. crazy
2: yeah. yeah i you know i am um i don't go in the woods at night one night you know too many bugs and uh so it <laughs> the was like i am happy to visit spooky places during the daytime but at nighttime i'm just sort of like "Mm, i think i'll let somebody else go here at night you know
1: so then you must not want to go into freetown state forest looking for plug questions
2: well we did go to freetown state forest in the day we went in the day and um i don't know if i'll uh, have you you've been to freetown it's this it's again it's a spooky-ish place um and again like we parked and again, we parked next to a firing range. Like, how many firing ranges can there be next to a <laughs> forest? So I guess it's the thing to do. Um, it,
1: would make, it would make sense too if you're going to fire guns. If you have a stray bullet, you don't want to disturb the neighbors, or, right. or think, oh, you don't want the noise either, as well.
2: Uh, we did. So we went to Freetown, Town, and um, you know, we parked and we walked down the road away from the firing range. And the whole experience was a little creepy because. Like, uh, we were walking down this big path, and a lot of the trees were dead. I think it was like the pine borer beetle had killed these trees. So, we're walking through these dead trees. The gunshots are behind us. Uh, not a lot of people in the Freetown State Forest when we went. Um, it was a windy day in March, I think it was. So, the leaves weren't yet out, and all the trees are rubbing together and they're making like a squeaking noise, like a high pitch, like, eh, eh. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep walking. The only people we encountered were a bunch of teenagers who were high out of their minds. Yeah. Um, and we're like, okay. And we had gone to, to because there are a couple of legends there, but one of them is about puckwudgies, right? Who are these um, small, hairy humanoids who supposedly live in the woods. They're sort of like, um, they're a type of fairy almost. You know, they're sort of a magical creature that lives in the woods, intelligent magical creature that lives in the woods. Um, and it's a mix of like, some native american lore some you know english lore mixed together and you get kind of the um, and they're mischievous at best right and malevolent at worst i guess right they're not something you necessarily want to really encounter and a lot of the stories are people will be walking let's say in the freetown state force or other places people have seen in the bridgewater triangle or just like, someone told me they'd seen one in um uh, Norwood someone even told me they saw one in Lawrence so people see them in different places but yeah. they don't like to be disturbed and often if you disturb them they'll follow you home when they follow you home there's sort of like some you might see them in your yard, you'll see them in the driveway, maybe they're tapping on your windows at night when you're trying to sleep maybe there's some light poltergeist activity in your house so all this kind of spooky stuff will happen if you encounter a and they're like three feet tall and covered in hair and um, kind of not, you know, a little creepy looking, I guess. So when we were there that day, we happily did not see any pakwajis. And we were trying to find the Asanet Ledge, yeah. which is um, – and unfortunately, always, I used to say asanet, which is sounds trashy, so we're going to say asanet, which sounds better. Um, mm-hmm. The Asanet Ledge, which is often a place where people say they've seen pakwi, pakwajis, perhaps pakwajis have even – push people off the ledge into the lake below and people die on the way down. They hit their head in the rocks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we had been walking through the woods, seeing no people except the really high teenagers and hearing squeaking trees and just a spooky experience. And then when we reached the Asanet ledge, suddenly there's like a group of school kids having a picnic up there. And we're like, okay, all the, the fear disappeared once we saw the the kids having a picnic up there. But it's (laughs) an interesting place to visit, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Sonnet ledge. There are also some ghost stories around it about, um, I think some people talked about ghosts of Native Americans or ghosts of people who've committed suicides or things like that. So it's an interesting place. I think the lake at the bottom of the ledge, though, is relatively recent. I think it's like a quarry or something. So it's not right. as old as people say it is, but the legends that have developed around it are still interesting legends. You know, there's always yeah, that. They
1: dumped the, uh, used to be gangs. They dumped bodies in the, in the lake
2: oh really from gang hits or mob hits or things yeah
1: from mob hits and yeah yeah
2: and i mean you you mentioned christopher balzani you've probably read his book about the freetown state forest which is a great book like, that's
1: mm-hmm.
2: one of the spookiest creepiest um local folklore books there is i think it's uh, what dark woods right it's called yep. just like so many stories about the freetown state forest from ghosts and pakwajis, and there were actually some um, there was a murderer there who was somewhat inter- involved with Satanism. So it's a lot of uh, creepy things there,
1: you know. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever see the uh,
2: movie uh, Bridgewater Triangle? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. movie. And That has the Pukwudgie encounter. Um, I can't remember his name. Is his last name Russo? A guy is out walking his dog mm-hmm. at like 3 a.m. People don't walk your dog at 3 a.m. if you don't have to. is always the 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 moral of these stories right but he's walking his dog out at 3 a.m near like um the power lines and as he's walking his dog he sees this little creature kind of standing under a street light and it's like three feet tall and covered with hair and it's kind of beckoning to him and it's saying these words which something like um I think it was Iwachu, Iwachu Kier is what it's saying, like Iwachu, Iwachu Kier, this creature is saying. He's like, what the heck? And the creature's kind of like gesturing like, hey, come, come with me, come into these woods. And luckily, this guy's like, no, I'm not going to follow the little humanoid monster into the woods, and he runs home with his dog. Mm -hmm. And when he gets home, he realizes the creature is probably, he thinks the creature was saying, we want you, we want you come here, we want you Mm -hmm. to come here, right? Which... Whether the story is true or not, it's a spooky story. Mm-hmm. You know, like a story to make your hair stand up, I think.
1: Yeah, there was also an encounter at the ledge. Did you see that?
2: I I know that they say sometimes puckwudgies push people off the ledge, but. No, I there know. was a. In the movie, there was actually a video conference of being, someone being possessed.
0: Mm hmm. you remember I've seen that? I
1: saw
2: it on YouTube,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, um, What'd you think of that?
2: I think it's creepy. I'll say I think it's creepy. Um, I think, I don't know, I guess I would say if you look at the Native American lore around creatures that live in the woods, and there's a lot of it, and, Mm -hmm. you know, from Maine, from New Hampshire, from Connecticut, all these places had surviving lore about creatures that live in the woods. You didn't Mm -hmm. see much from eastern Massachusetts because so many of the Native Americans in eastern Massachusetts died, right? There was a <laughs> wave of yellow fever that came through that killed people right before the pilgrims landed. And then there was King Philip's war and and things like that. So sort of the local Native American groups here really suffered heavy losses, right? right. But I think yeah, but they also
1: had their own wars
2: as well. Right. Yeah. And it was just it was just a rough time. So mm-hmm. I think um if you look at the lore though the idea is that you're supposed to treat these creatures with respect, right? Treat them with respect. Um, There are certain things you leave out for them for food. If you want to develop a good relationship, you don't say their name in the woods in the summertime. There are certain rules that people would follow. If you follow the rules, the creatures treat you well and you treat the creatures well instead of a mutually beneficial relationship or at least a relationship of coexistence. Mm -hmm. And I think... um, that doesn't always fit as well into like a more dualistic Christian worldview where people want to put things either, things are either good or evil, right? Like a small creature in the woods, it's got to be evil because it's not in the Bible or something versus, Mm -hmm. well, maybe it's just a local spirit and you just kind of, you ignore it or you try to treat it well and move on. Right. Right. Don't antagonize it, perhaps, or something like that. Right. So this is a different perspective, maybe. But again, yeah. I wasn't there, so I didn't see the person get possessed by it. So maybe if I had been there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this person was possessed. It was not good. Yeah, I was there, though,
1: because that was me. That was that you? <laughs> we so
2: did what that. Was your, with... what was your we... opinion on it?
1: That, <laughs> that was uh, Maureen Wood, who was the, the woman that was possessed. And I was the one that tackled her along with Chris Belzano. Okay. Yeah, that was uh we went to the woods that night. Uh yeah. Uh that was it's also in his book, uh picture yourself ghost hunting as well, with the, the okay. DVD attached with yeah. It it was in- interesting. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh if you've never seen a transmedium uh, work with the trans medium uh then it's yeah it's it's a little difficult to describe but yeah it's intriguing intriguing let's put it that way
2: yeah it's um i guess that again like i don't go into the woods at night trying to find the monsters you know what i mean because i i don't want anything strange to happen to me basically um yeah, it's inter- it is interesting stuff there's somebody wrote to me uh through my blog and um they lived in lawrence and they were uh of native american descent and they told me an interesting story where when they were kids um it was a woman who wrote to me she's an adult now when she was a girl she used to go visit her grandparents who lived in lawrence and one day she was sitting on the couch in her grandparents living room watching tv and she feels somebody pull on her hair and she thought it was one of her siblings or her cousins, So she kind of like bad in the way, like knock it off, whatever. She didn't turn around. Then she felt somebody pulling her hair again. And she's like, knock it off. And finally, she felt somebody pull hard. So she turned around to look and standing behind the couch was a very small woman and a very small man, like oh. three feet high. And they had really long hair that reached down to her feet. And she was freaked out. And she sort of yelled and told her siblings, hey, look. But by the time they looked, they were gone. And she mentions to her grandparents and grandparents is kind of like, oh, yeah, that didn't happen. They just sort of laughed at it. Um, And so, you know, later that summer, this the girl and her mother and her siblings had gone to the movies. And after they were done going to the movies, they went back to the grandparents house to see if the grandparents were home. And so they're knocking on the door to see if the grandparents are home and no one's answering. They knock again. No one answers. They look in the window and the girl sees again. This little old man and little old woman who are like three feet high, and they run by the window and go down a hallway. And the girl, again, is sort of creeped out by this. Um, but only when she's older does she think back and remember that her grandparents used to leave, like, plates of food on the floor. And she always thought it was sort of for a pet or something, although then she realizes they never had any pets. They didn't have a cat, they didn't have a dog, so who was the food for, Right. And it was for basically these spirits that were kind of hanging out with the parents, with the grandparents at the house. And they were no trouble. They weren't trouble. They just were there and maybe were curious or mischievous or something like that.
1: Unfortunately, we've run out of time. It's been great talking with you, uh, Peter. It's been a lot of fun, actually. I've enjoyed it. I want to. It's been great.
2: Yeah, it's been great talking with you, Ron. It's always good to talk about these things with people who appreciate them.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's so many stories, you know, I'm sure we haven't even touched on. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back on again anyways. So, Peter, if people want to get in touch you, you once again to get copies of your book, first of all, what's the, the titles of your book and where can they be found? Uh,
2: my current book is called Witches and Warlocks of Massachusetts. You can get that wherever you buy books online, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Bookshop.org, Powell's, any place like that should have it. Um, mm-hmm. My earlier book was called Legends and Lore of the North Shore, and that one is also available in the same places. And uh, yeah, if people either. want to contact me, they can go to my blog, which is newenglandfolklore.blogspot.com.
1: There you go. I'll see if I can get that and put that up on my page, too. Uh, so, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if anyone's interested in seeing that puckwudgie thing, you can find it on YouTube. It's called When Puckwudgies Attack. Um, Peter, thank you so much once again, and, and good luck. And uh, you know, hopefully I'll run into you sometime.
2: Great. Thanks, Ron, but I won't be in the woods late at night. You won't find me yeah.
1: <laughs> Okay. Today's show is brought to you by uh, Circles of Wizard, 286 Memory Street, with Bethune, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier, Family, Log Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Become a member for 3 bucks a month. cheap put a cup of coffee, you get access to over 50 exclusive videos and other crap that's on there. Anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay tuned next week. And, uh, Peter, once again, good night. God bless everyone.
0: To ghosties, long legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us,
2: good Lord.